Welcome to For Instance Podcast, the tech podcast where we spin out endless supposals about cloud, AI, the edge, and more. We sift through current events, opine about what it means for practitioners and leaders, and interview industry observers about where different technologies are taking us. If you like digging into the story behind the story in tech, this podcast is for you. Hi folks, welcome to the fourth episode of our podcast called For Instance with Sarah Music and myself, Sarb G. Hall. Welcome, Sarah. How was your week? We did a special episode last week. We do this bi-weekly, folks, as you know. How was your last week and what are the big news? Good. I hope uh, everybody had a great Labor Day and got a little time off from laboring. I've always found that kind of ironic. Uh, you know, there's Google Next was big, so obviously we covered that. From the standpoint of banner news stories, there's not been as much over the past of the course, the course of the past two weeks. But there have been some interesting things. Uh, one one story that I caught sight of that ha- you know has caught the news cycle is the the story of the Microsoft outage, the Azure outage in uh, the Australia East region. For practitioners and leaders, you know, for all you who listen, who who tend to operate, you know, almost exclusively in the cloud or at least partially, interesting story. So essentially what happened was there was a power outage in Australia. The, the East region was impacted. So theoretically in this kind of situation, the hyperscalers have generators and especially they have chillers backup chillers to protect the physical infrastructure because of course if that infrastructure gets damaged by heat which you know i would think would be a big deal in australia or you know some other kind of environmental factor that's that's an issue from you know data corruption and integrity to operations and all that stuff well in apparently in this particular case, the chillers didn't kick in the way they were supposed to. And it also came to light that uh, Azure only had three folks walking the floor of the data center. There were only three people in the building at the time. So interesting story. These things happen with the hyperscalers from time to time. From a storage perspective, I did find it interesting because the chillers didn't kick in. Some of the storage infrastructure was damaged and they're going to have to they're going to have to replace some of it, evidently. So the data is still there, but that's not not a good look, not the best. But these things do these things do happen. What do you think, Sarbjeet? Yeah, and that that story caught my eye as well, uh, and I looked into it. As you said, the four chillers were there, I, if I remember correctly. Two were backup. Two didn't kick in. That's right. From the backup two, only one kicked in, and that tripped after a while as well. So nothing mm-hmm. can work. So Murphy's Law was at work that day. So everything which can go wrong goes wrong, right, <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Um, we had a similar incident actually a long time back at Rackspace. Um, a big gray hit our data center's transformers, and then we just went into the part of the data center and it knocked out the power and our generators and that was a long, long ago um, incident and these things can happen mm-hmm. uh, things like fire can happen the whole data center can go away right so that's why it's very important to do resilience on your own you have data in different regions you, you have DR strategy in place you know so yes 
cloud provider has a lot more responsibility. They should do better. But at the same time, your architecture will matter in that case. Like, how do you recover from that, you know, debacle or that mess up or that uh, incident, right? So, um, as we know, some like uh, there are steps to the recovery, you know, like what you recover first and what do you recover next and which in which order you do that matters. The cloud provider itself doesn't know that order for your applications or mm-hmm. your platforms or what you're hosting there. But I think they did, um, still did a good, good job. Yes, having three people there was bad. And the, the vendor coming in after, I don't know, 15 hours or something, the chiller vendor showed up. And that was another, um, they will learn lessons from that, of course, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think too, you know, we saw this with some of the outages. Was it last year in 2022 or was it late 2021 with some of the outages with US East One for AWS and come to find out from a resiliency perspective and a redundancy perspective, there were a lot of organizations, even big organizations that were not sufficiently redundant if something happened to East one. So it's a cautionary, cautionary tale. It happens. Yeah. It's a reminder for most of us to architectural solutions, which are tier one mission critical workloads to, to make sure that we have the redundancy, um, regional redundancy, not just, uh, you know, uh, by region, not just within the same region, you have redundancy. So yeah. Multi-region for sure. What did you notice about the news cycle? The biggest news, I think, in tech right now is the European Union uh, declaring few big companies as gatekeepers, mostly U.S. companies, right? That's Meta, a.k.a. Facebook, you know, Alphabet, Google, what we call it. And uh, Amazon is there, Microsoft is there, and um, uh ByteDance is the only non-US company which is in that. And they listed 16 services from these companies as uh, gatekeepers. And they want these services to be interoperable and non-blocking for the competition. So things are, the, the, the more details are coming in. They haven't decided on all the services, what's in, what's out. The law will, this time they're making it a law. So earlier they used to, you know, just punish randomly U.S. companies and tack these fines. And it was kind of wild, wild west in many ways that companies didn't know how, what to adhere to, what laws. And the regulators on the other side also were kind of grappling with the situation. Like what is anti-competitive or what is not? This makes it a little bit clearer. Um, the law will go into effect, I think, in March 2024, yeah. No, that's what they said on in news. I was up, I think, at 4 a.m. or something. Not because of the news, because of my eye pain. Because I'm recovering from shingles, and eye pain was bothering me. So uh, I was, um, you know, on and off a little bit with my sleep. I, know. I saw that news, and I tweeted. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a big story. I, you know, certainly from the standpoint of some of these juggernauts, these tech juggernauts, it's very interesting from an enterprise perspective who have operations in 
Amia, that'll be interesting as well, because to what extent does that have a bearing on, you know, maybe your app that you use that folks tend to use on Android or iPad OS as examples? Will that will that have a meaningful impact on your business model, the things that you're able to do and how much it costs you to host them on the on those platforms? Because that was one of the things that they cited is the excessive fencing off that goes on. And then, of course, there are fees to to the hosting on those on those platforms. So from from a practitioner perspective, that'll be that'll be interesting to watch for those who have operations in EMEA. To what extent does that make things easier, if if at all? Yeah, most of these U.S. companies serve EMEA, right? So that will apply to U.S. companies as well. And whatever is applied to U.S. companies, it it in EMEA, especially if it's a hardware related stuff, right? The, the, they will do that in the U.S. as well. Just uh, a perfect example of that is that they're forcing Apple to use the USB-C charger, charging port, right? Uh, so they, they forced that in Europe, right? And then now Apple doesn't want to make two different sets of phones for Europe and here. So they, they're doing it for everybody. So mm. so I think most of the, these things will will come to everybody. And, and and also another thing is that California is pretty aggressive um, in, in uh, regulation as well on most fronts, right? Um, and California will copy some of the, these things, and and then there goes California, there goes U.S. kind of thing, right? So again, companies don't want to have like different buckets; they they want to adhere to the most stringent rules, so everybody else is happy as well. And I I think thirty percent fee by Apple and and Google. App Store, you know that is insane. To be honest with you, like pretty 30%. steep. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It, it just just for in-app pur- purchases, yeah. Yeah, it's just tricky. It's tricky that you can save thirty percent as consumer if you go directly to YouTube YouTube site and then subscribe to their YouTube Premium, which we did, and I found out that I can save thirty percent. I did. Um, if I just went to App Store, I had. I was going to pay thirty percent extra, um, so I mean, that's too much. I think five percent is okay. You know, maybe ten, thirty percent. No, you know, a Spotify fault. You know, and it, it, it's not fair. Right? You have operating system, and now you want to just. It is really that's really that is the perfect definition of gatekeepers, right? Bottleneck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so I think. Yeah, there's been a lot about the way. Yeah, right. There's been a lot about the way the EU has handled things that I've viewed as pretty even-handed. I don't think it's possible to please everyone, but I think that some of the artificial silos that are created with this kind of behavior are anti-competitive, and so that that there's there's a goodness there's a goodness to keeping an eye on that for sure. Yeah, uh, even if it works as a deterrent, you know, like they don't, they won't do more of it. Um, that even even that is good, you know. So sometimes like, these these things are like, hey, whatever you have done, it's okay, you know. Like just don't do more of it, you know. I think it will impact M and A 
Linacon is also ratcheting up on big tech. So European Union, Linacon from here, China on the other side, you know, isolating. Big tech is under a little bit of pressure from all angles, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was, I think that's that's going to be interesting to watch in coming months and and years, um, maybe decades, because uh, our Fed mulled Microsoft in the 80s and they were down for so long, you know. So they were fighting, you know, and they were on the code, you know, all the time. And by the way, these companies, I'm hearing from experts and I, I am with them on that, that they will fight tooth and nail to reverse some of these. That's true. They're not going to, yeah, it's not a done deal just yet because they're, of course, going to appeal. So, yeah, yeah. interesting. I've got another news story that I saw that I think is really interesting just within the past couple of days, and that's BMW's announcement in expanding its partnership with AWS in automotive. So powering, you know, what they call next generation automotive driving. So, you know, for you German fans, Neue Klasse. So it's going to be interesting to see BMW's foray into, you know, self-driving vehicles and what that looks like. And, you know, powering a lot of that with AWS, you know, they already have the the cloud data hub, but the blending, one of the broader trends that we're seeing, of course, is this blending or this graying of the lines between the public cloud, the private cloud slash data center and edge, because these vehicles, to my reading, are essentially going to be rolling edge locations. And they're going to be communicating for software updates and patching and security with this dedicated cloud that BMW and AWS are are building together specifically for self-driving cars and what a what a fascinating opportunity that lays ahead of automotive and I think that that's not unique to the automotive industry I think there are a lot of industries right now that of course want to capitalize on the bonanza that is AI right now so that that I think is exciting and it'll also be interesting to see both both companies like lean in Qualcomm's gonna you know supply the the semiconductors so of course they're all excited about it and uh, AWS is taking it seriously enough that Amazon Automotive I think is going to be a standalone line of business it's going to be something that they that they peel out yeah you think Sergey yeah I, I I think it's inevitable to cloud technologies, edge technologies to come into, you know, mobility space. Uh, it's a matter of time, you know, we'll, we'll need more compute to um, do AI on the fly, you know. So just looking through cameras and or LiDAR, you know, doesn't matter what technology you use in the car, you need a lot of compute to see like what's in front of me and what should I do with this way or that way. And also the infotainment, what we call it, in the car, the car will look totally different than what it looks today. I have attended last two CES shows, and they're mostly car shows these days. And they have, they have shown us the concepts, like what they're building. 
And the last year, and not, not last year, this year, uh, uh, in January, I spoke to AWS Auto Group at, in, at CES, and they told me that it is not a subgroup of AWS. I, I found that interesting. It is a parallel group to AWS. So the aspirations of Amazon are bigger when it comes to auto or mobility because they move so many packet packages. Their mm. their uh, investment into Rivian, a big one, uh, that is worth panning out. So Rivian vans are all around us. Amazon is doing delivery using those um, those uh, uh, vans. So yeah, they, that platform they're building, it, it is being used by, uh, by the way, by other platforms like Bosch Global. Bosch is another company which uh, many of us in the U.S. don't un understand that it's so huge in auto. They have a Bosch platform, just like Snapdragon, um, Qual Qualcomm's Snapdragon chassis, they, what they call it. So mm -hmm. it's a it's a platform for car makers to just take the whole thing and say, okay, I have all the chips and all the cameras, everything is in there so you can program it. So Bosch has it, Qualcomm has it, and Amazon is coming from this uh, cloud angle. And um, yeah, that's that's very interesting. Actually, they, they are taking it very seriously. And they, they call it mobility, which includes, you know, anything, moving all, over water, air, uh, cars on the roads, and uh, you know, drones and whatnot. So yeah, interesting. It's a huge market, by the way. It's a, this is the only market which is, I think it's the biggest market. Car market is the biggest market. Um, uh, if you take a mobility market overall, including trucks and heavy-duty uh, trucks uh, in, with passenger cars, it, it's uh, in trillions. That's why. Mm -hmm. Why Tesla? Yeah, is the... <laughs> in terms of saturation, when you think about it, saturation from a from an AI perspective or future growth perspective, mobile phone largely saturated market at this point. Client client computing or you know personal desktop largely saturated. Although I think we're going to see a complete reinterpretation of personal computer with AI. You know, the data center and, and cloud are going to continue to explode. But in terms of sort of greenfield growth, I think automotive is is going to, is set to experience. What Can you imagine sitting in a car that learns you as a driver? So there's a light model dropped into the vehicle that sits there locally on the Kodak. And then it's fine tunes the model. Watching Sarah drive. Sarah really has a thing about this left mirror. She just so yeah. let's get the left me. It, I mean, really, no. really wild stuff. No, take it further. It would be modular. You know, the the LG components and Mercedes cars and BMW car has components from all these other, you know, companies, Samsung and screens, and you know, it, it's going to be modular. Um, it's like a PC kind of PC, not the mm -hmm. the kind of thing. PC kind of world, I, I imagine. And take it further down, like like people like us, like we want to shoot video and do podcasts while we are moving in the car, and then it's uh, recording us and and maybe doing some part of the edit when we say like, hey, edit this and put it on Spotify right now. 
you know, uh, voice-enabled commands and um, Adobe is also plugged in somehow, uh, helping us with yeah, right. nice APIs. Yeah, yeah. Sony had uh, their concept car there. The, the companies which are making cars are the companies you didn't think they will make car. Car, you know, Apple is supposed to make car as well at some point. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. It's a good market. Yep, I think no area of um, our lives will be untouched by the digital revolution. That's that's given. We just can. What else have you? Yeah, we are. We are. We absolutely are. What else have you seen in the news? Yeah, the one. Okay, from the earnings point of view. Quite a few earnings came in last week and this week as well. This week, uh, one stood out was uh, Zscaler. I think it was yesterday. Pure Storage uh, was this week as well. MongoDB. They're all doing great. All bit, all sort of modern tech on top of cloud. Well, with what John Furry and Dave Vellante call Super Cloud. So all Super Cloud companies are doing great. They were not doing great last quarter. They, they dipped um, and and um, they were punished by the market, but now they're coming back up. So the sentiment is changing around the, the tech spend. So that's uh, what I noticed. And one standout thing was uh, Dell jumped, I think, 12 or 12 to 14% that day, you know, like um, a couple of days back. That was a, that's an anomaly for a company like Dell to jump that big, you know, in one day. So they had like around $1 billion adjustment based upon how they moved their books and wrote off some expenses and all that. We know how that goes, you know, like companies write off some ex- big expense and they show the balance sheet is much stronger. Uh, it can impact their, their margins and yeah, it, it that happened, and I thought it was it would be short lived because it is that accounting sort of um, misunderstanding by the market, but that it just persisted. A people bought into the idea that that was doing great, and it will do great going forward. Of course, AI tailwinds are helping all these companies mm-hmm. as well. Any any any. Thing which stood out for you from, uh, yeah, from an right. earnings, yeah, from an earnings perspective, one that's a lesser story, but I think still important from a security perspective is Sentinel One. So their numbers look pretty good this quarter. Their their revenues were up. So last quarter was kind of tough for them. A lot of people have been down on them, and CrowdStrike CEO was bold enough to come out on an earnings call and kind of bash them, which is pretty, pretty confident. But I was glad to see them come back a bit in terms of their revenues and in terms of uh, gross margin, you know, looks, looks healthy. So I like, I like Sentinel One, you know, they were early on in the endpoint protection space. So I think they're worth watching. Their, their CEO came out and said, the company's not for sale. We're not going to sell the company. Because there were some questions about whether that was going to happen. And I think it was a couple of days ago, sort of over the Labor Day weekend, that he said, not happening. We're not doing that. So Sentinel One's worth watching. All right. I'll keep an eye on them. 
Um, I, I follow the big big guys, you know, mm-hmm. Palo Alto, networks, and and it was kind of folks, right, at <laughs> the platform level. But I'll, I'll take a look at them. We're inching our way toward the ARM IPO. Oh, so yes. that's a big one, actually. We we should it come. Is a big party. There are some very fancy people at that party with uh, all sorts of, you know, tuxes and, and ball gowns and, you know, pretty much anybody. It's a who, it re, at this point, it reads as a who's who of semiconductor companies, mostly, you know, Apple is investing too, but of course, from a de- design perspective, they have their, their M's. And so that it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Some of the speculation I've heard is that SoftBank has been hemorrhaging a little bit. And so are they going to get as much from ARM as they want and need considering that it it's been a very expensive uh ownership for them. So it'll be it'll you know given some of the economic uncertainty it will be interesting to see what ends up happening with the IPO. Of course this is the first time the company went public. Uh, you know they were reporting to Wall Street for a long time and then uh they were taken private again. Hopefully this IPO will go well for them. Because they yeah. have a lot of weight to throw around. They do, actually. Because of the AI hype and because some analysts are saying that ARM has the newer designs coming down the pike, which will be very AI-centric. They will give competition to NVIDIA. That's what they think. We have to see when they come out, right? That the, the hype is there. Of course, they are unloading 10% only, right? So they will still keep, Software Bank is still keeping 90% of the company to themselves. And this, this, um, they, they'll raise um, with this 10%, you know? So yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I did some basic research on this. They were, they were a public company, right? Uh, and then uh, Software Bank bought them took them private a few years back and now they're taking them public again. And, and this is this is the redemption for SoftBank. SoftBank has lost so much money and so many other big bets. This is the one which is panning out. So now they bought it for $32 billion in 2016, only seven years back. So now mm-hmm. the, the valuation is around 50 billion, 51 to 52 billion. Right? Yep. Yeah, hopefully. Well, if so, if that's where they end up, then yeah, that'll be good. It's good, but it's just doubling, less than doubling the money. But yeah, it it worked out, you know. So, and and I think they're keeping ninety percent because they still think there's a big upside um, in left in in harm. There, yeah, there's a long tail to this, and they no doubt realize that and so they don't want to seed the potential for uplift with that you know as we ride that tail so to speak yep and see a few few numbers there so arm estimates that the market for the main server processors data processing units and smart nics 
which is used by cloud provider, is currently worth $17.9 billion. The number will jump to $28.4 billion by 2025. That's, uh, you know, almost double, not double, but like 80% higher uh, by 2025. And ARM also projects the market for the auto chips, you know, which go in, into cars and trucks and you know, anything mobility. Uh, is expected to grow from 18.8 billion to 29.1 billion during the same time frame. So that was reported by Silicon Angle. The markets are ballooning. The market size is ballooning as we do more sort of digitalization of all aspects of our lives. And these companies will benefit from it. And of course, they will have competition from likes of NVIDIA and, and AMD and hopefully Intel as well. So, yeah, interesting stuff. And by the way, did you, did you see the Intel's new chip beating GPU in certain benchmarks? I I had I saw that story like uh, about 10 days back. It was... Uh, yeah. some, which model was that? There, there was some... It's the uh, Havana Gaudi 2. Yes, yeah. That, that so was, just for, for context... You know, for those of you who don't know, you know, Intel, of course, sort of the godfather of, of CPU, uh, you know, I, I would say kind of pretty publicly at this point, recognizing that the market is moving into a more diversified state. And Habana Gaudi uh, started out as a, an Israeli design company for what they call HPUs. So it's a GPU competitor. There's, there's some proprietary uh, chiplet architecture that they leverage that's unique to them. It's specific to AI. So one, one thing that's a distinctive is that, you know, as opposed to originally being developed for graphics that has AI application, the HPU was developed just for AI workloads specifically. So from a training perspective, you know, in building these multi-billion, you know, a hundred billion, a hundred billion plus parameter models. That's really what it's, what it's targeting. And so, you know, from a marketing perspective, I'd, I'd like to hear more about Havana Gaudi 2 in the public market uh, from Intel, but the numbers that are coming out, you know, the ML perf numbers that were released into the wild, there were only two two companies that showed up for that, and that was NVIDIA and Intel. Uh, AMD didn't come to that party. Nobody else came to that party. So that was that was pretty interesting. That in terms of from the standpoint of having conviction around your ML perf numbers, those were the two companies who were really willing to come to the table. So as it turns out, uh, the HPU architecture does outperform a GPU in some cases, and from a price point perspective. I think it's pretty common knowledge that NVIDIA's GPUs are are very expensive. And of course, it's phenomenal tech. So, you know, it, it's going to be expensive, but the HPU from a price per performance perspective is is fairly compelling. So that that is uh, why it's getting attention. And I think as time wears on, NVIDIA being the early leader, they're, they're going to continue to be in that space for a while. I mean, Jensen from a procedural perspective, a product perspective, and uh, an awareness perspective has just done a masterful job. He is 
unparalleled, I think, in in terms of the work that he's done. But it's only a matter of time before people in the market start looking at, is this the only thing out there? And the answer to that that question is no. There there are actually some really credible, even more compelling alternatives on the market. Yep. Jensen has been at it for the last 30 years and mm-hmm. when you work on something th- for 30 years, you get rewarded. <laughs> you will That's get right. rewarded. <laughs> so yeah, it, the longer the time frame, the better it is. Um, and and uh, yeah, it, it's masterful in a way that they trained their developers on it. I think it like, well, went off like a but seven, eight years back for them, and they said, we need to train the practitioners on our technology. Only then this will go in, into the mainstream. So they focus, they put a lot more dollars there. So I, that, I, that's the concept I call, I call skills gravity. They increase the skills gravity of their platform so much that people go there. Whenever you think AI, you think NVIDIA. That's the... That's- that's amazing. Massively powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, and of course, technology is better as well. But if, if, if they just stayed in the gaming space and only told the gamers to, you know, build games with, you know, this shadow programming, which, which they mastered, you know, that's how they got their mojo, you know. So they gave you APIs to cook up the graphics, which are faster. Uh, much faster to render by giving you like okay different shades of gray and you know all the colors and so it, it's minute things but it's uh, at the end of the day it's zeros and ones but manipulation of that at fast pace giving it to multiple smaller cores that's a uh, that's very uh, clever approach to computing and of course that I think that the devil is in the detail that the Scotty model outperforming you know, CPUs are performing GPU in certain cases. You have to still dig deep, double click on that and see what it was. I mean, if it's just one unit doing that and it's not a mesh of CPUs, like it's a mesh of GPUs on the other side, then the, the, the GPU to GPU communication matters a lot. So that bus mm-hmm. matters a lot. So um, they have some faster buses as well. It's not just the processors or cores as faster it's the mesh is faster because the buses are faster because the data travels from one processor to other faster as well i'm not an it's a hardware expert but i'm i'm reading enough on this that i can mm-hmm. talk about this. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. some of it yeah yeah interesting stuff like I, 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 we all know that it's the magic of hardware and and software combination of that, which which uh, makes things happen. It's not hardware only or not software only. And uh, I think, yeah, likes of Intel have to just grapple with that fact. You know, who do we go? Who do they go with for better programmatic platforms on top of the hardware they are producing? Mm-hmm. That will be the biggest battle of um, next uh, ten years or so for likes of AMD and. And and uh, Intel. You bet. Yeah. So we'll we'll post a couple links in the show notes about that story. Um, they were they were benchmarks for for Bridge Tower, and it was 
uh, it was the H100, NVIDIA's H100, up against uh, the Havana Gaudi 2. Yeah. They tag us their HP2. So so the last two things, um, before you wrap up, uh, we're, we're reaching our time limit. We have to get off by by noon here, um, PST. One is the, the G20 summit is happening in India, and China's Li is not. Uh, China's Xi Ping is not attending, so he's sending Li. He's sending Li. Yep. Xi versus Li thing there. I don't know. They're just playing the political mind games. Um, but Biden will be there. Um, people are hopeful that Biden and Xi will talk to each other there because they'll resolve some of the issues or smoothen things out between China and U.S. But that that's not, not going to happen. That's one news I saw, and and also there's one. Local news, Google turned 25, um, day for yesterday. I, I thought Google was older than that. Like we, we normally think that Google is there forever for us, right? But it's only 25 years old company. Um, they have done phenomenally well in those 25 years. And there were two dudes in Stanford dorms, you know, and they just, you know, reinvented uh, sorts. And here we are after mm-hmm. so after 25 years, I think most of the world you know, uses Google to, it has become a verb. So that's another story, uh, which is very inspiring. Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks all for listening today. And we will catch you next time in two weeks for more reflections on tech news, as well as what that means for us who are out in the workplace doing it every day. Thanks, Sarpjeet. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to For Instance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you did, please feel free to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. When we're not recording, you can find Sarbjeet reacting to and discussing current enterprise tech news on Twitter or X. His handle is at Sarbjeet Joal. And you can find me, Sarah Music, on LinkedIn, interacting with tech news or occasionally posting a literature quote. We welcome your feedback and we'll see you next time.